Please stand. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, this is Ephesians 5, 1 to 6. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is the word of God. Yeah, just throw it there. All right, well, good morning again. Um, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and we'll get into this text right away. There is a lot to talk about, as you can imagine, after hearing uh, what uh, is before us this morning. And so please, uh, yes, uh, grab your word and be praying for me as we get into this text. Uh, again, if you're new here, so great to have you. And so uh, we want to follow along with the word. And so you can go ahead and find this on the app, uh, on the app store or whatever. ESV is what we use. And so uh, that's the text that we were reading from, or translation, I guess, that we're reading from. And so as we continue in this book of Ephesians chapter 5 today, this is again a reminder in the walk section of this great book. So chapters 1 through 3, the wealth of the gospel, we cannot forget that. And now we're into chapter 4, four and 5, and chapter 5 is still part of the walk. And so this is a, a lot of do, a lot of do. Uh, so walking in accountability with one another. And so let me again pray for us, and uh, then we'll get into this. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for this text. I thank you that it is a challenge for me. It is a challenge for all of us as we hear and, and walk in the word. And I, I just pray as I prayed for the kids uh, earlier that, uh, Lord, that, that you will affect change in us, that we will receive your forgiveness, that we will receive your love, that we will receive what you have done for us, that, that you have laid yourself down, that you've given yourself up for us, and that we will walk in thanksgiving now, heeding your call and your warning. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat> well, just looking at this text, you can see uh, maybe a, a, a contrast. You, you, you've seen this contrast even in, in the title of our sermon series is Death to Life. And, and Paul continues this contrast language here in this text. And you, if you didn't notice it, you can kind of see it, right? If you look at verse 1, you already see this, right? Beloved children. Beloved children or loved children. In other, in other versions, it says loved children. And then in the close of chapter, or verse 6, sorry, in the close of verse 6, you see sons of disobedience. So you have this amazing contrast here, beloved children or sons of disobedience. And the, and the, and the children of God are, are living in the forgiveness and the love and the giving up of Christ, and they're living in thanksgiving. And then in verse, or, but the sense of disobedience are living in the sensuality, this sensuality, this impurity, this sexual immorality and covetous of this sexual desires that they, they are living in. And these are the sons of disobedience. This is this family. 
And then there's this great warning in verses five and six that we need to take and be aware of. And, uh, and if this is so, so severe that it comes to the point where you are actually um, taken away from the eternal kingdom of God. And so we need to be aware of these things. We need to walk in this. And that's what we're going to do uh, this morning as we walk through this text is just see these things and, and how, how can this practically lay out in, in our lives this morning. So let's look again with some intentional desire for application today. And I've said this before. I don't want us to leave this gym unchanged. We ought to all leave this, un, uh, uh, this gym, this, this, this church body. We need to help each other morph into more like Christ-likeness. So verse 1 again, it says, Therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And this is, to understand what imitation of God looks like, we need to look at the verse very before this, chapter, this verse 1 and also the verse right after it. And so the, remember that the, this is a letter to the Ephesus, church of Ephesus. And so there is no numbers when Paul wrote this. He didn't write in the numbers. He didn't write in the chapters. And so this is one fluid letter. And so in verse, or chapter 4, verse 32, which is the one right before which we talked about last week, and the one right after, verse 2, is really important. So you can see it on the screen here all together. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So being kind and tenderhearted, let's forgive one another. So this is, this is what God has done for us. And then our text, therefore be imitators of God in his forgiveness as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering as Christ, as a, or fragrant offering as sacrifice to God. So right away we're seeing three areas that we are called to imitate. See, God forgave us, God loves us, and God gave himself up for us. We see this right in the text. Three areas of, of, of imitation for us. And so if God forgave us, loved us, and gave himself up for us, then we are called to forgive one another, we are called to love one another, and we are called to give ourselves up for one another. This is how we imitate God, as we're called to. Therefore, be imitators of God. And so let's talk about these three things for a moment. But the problem is, each one of these, there's volumes of books on, articles and blogs, just on each one of these. So this is going to be a broad breaststroke over forgiveness, love, and giving ourselves up. And I encourage you to do more study on your own. So let's talk about that first one, forgiveness, all under the heading of imitation. So that's my first point, imitation. So forgiveness, an author in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, I came across this article years ago, but I reread this this week uh, from Aaron Cerrone, uh, just a great article on forgiveness. And so much of what I'm going about to say is from him and his article that he wrote. But he says in, in this article, if the gospel had a heartbeat, it would be forgiveness. It's just great language. If the gospel had a heartbeat, it would be forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness or to be forgiven is the core of our identity as Christians corporately and individually. So if this is so vitally important as the adopted children of God, why is it such a hard task for us to imitate? It's so hard. Well, the hardness comes from our evil desires of our heart. 
which we've been talking about of our self-kingdom and God's kingdom. And our self-kingdom, that's where it becomes hard to forgive one another. So Aaron gives us an idea of what forgiveness is and is not in this article. And let, let me start with this. Now I'm going to go th- through these really quickly so we can get in, continue to walk through this text. But let's start with forgiveness is not. So forgiveness is not primarily for personal psychological gain. And what I mean by that, what I think this article means by that, is what this is, and he continues by saying, he says, forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves so that we can make peace with ourselves and move on. Like, think of that. Like, we do this, don't we? Like, when someone sins against us or battles against us, don't we just go, well, I'm going to forgive you. But it's like we talked about last week, it's like almost like a double-bind communication. Like, I forgive you because I, wanna, I, want, I want glory for myself in some weird way, right? I'm holding back true forgiveness for you for the sake of making myself feel pleasure, right? Oftentimes we do this, but yet forgiveness is actually an action that you're passing on mercy to the other person so that they become more like Christ. It's a massive gift of mercy for the other when you say, I forgive you. See, in other words, forgiveness ought to seek the good of another before the good of self. Another area of forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. See, the saying, forgiving is forgetting, I'm sure you've all heard this, should rightly bother us because forgiving, forgiveness is actually not forgetting. Forgetting is passive while forgiveness is actually active. Forgetting occurs when I'm overwhelmed or something I do as I get older and my mind weakens, right? Have you lost your keys this week? Right? Or your wallet? Where's my credit card? Right? This is what happens when we, our mind weakens. But how does one forget about an affair? How does one forget about abuse? verbally or physically. See, this is where we must imitate God. See, God does not forget how could he. He is God. But Jer, what about Jeremiah 31, 34, where it says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. See, when God forgives us, he promises not to dwell on or think about our sin. In his mind, he actively removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, just like it says in Psalm 103, verse 12. So because Jesus pays for the penalty in full, it is off the record. It is off the record. Both you and Jesus know what you've done. You've known you've done, it's not forgotten. but it no longer has bearing or ability to have power over you any longer. And like Jesus would never bring this former sin up with you, we ought to imitate Christ in this with one another. Meaning we we ought to not bring up a sin with another when we've already forgiven them of of that sin. But sadly, we remind, shame, accuse one another with sins we have already been forgiven for. Thirdly, forgiveness is not a minimization of the wrong that has been done towards you. 
See, forgiving someone does not lessen or excuse the wrong committed against God first and then you. It doesn't lessen it when you say, I forgive you. It's still a very powerful thing that has taken place. But don't we at times, again, hold back our forgiveness for someone so that they are held to account or have to sit in their sin and shame a little bit longer? Like when someone says, can you please forgive me? And you go, I'm just going to hold on to that a little bit longer. I can't forgive you quite yet because I want to hold you into that shame a little bit longer. Isn't that elevating yourself over God? Isn't that elevating yourself into the place of uh, of authority and wrath on you? See, God doesn't act like that. Jesus forgives us. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, uh, he, he, he says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is how we are to imitate Christ, by forgiving one another. What we must not do is step in the way of God's wrath, but first forgive as it is our core identity as image bearers. This is our responsibility. How the one acts after being forgiven is up to them. See, you have a responsibility to forgive as in scripture it calls us to. How they respond to your forgiveness is up to them and up to the Holy Spirit on their heart. You need to heed what you've been called to. See, seeking forgiveness is not the same as saying, I'm sorry. Sorry communicates that we feel bad about something and forgiveness communicates you are sorry and guilty of an offense against God and your fellow man and you walk that out by humbly asking for mercy. This is what we're called to. Forgiveness does not remove the consequences of sin. See, when you murder or commit adultery, then seek forgiveness with all your heart. You are forgiving, forgiven from the Lord and washed clean, but the consequences of those actions are still there. See, when we sin against someone, those consequences are there. That's a consequential sin, right? And those things like, like relational brokenness or fractured witness for Christ are still going to linger. But the consequences of sin are deep and painful. And as fellow children of God's family, to recognize and identify with another's suffering when you sin against them is vitally important. We need to walk along those, side those, when they ask for forgiveness. We ought to rightly forgive them and understand there's a consequential sin that they have to live in or the consequences of the sin. And so we come alongside them and love them in it. We essentially put the shoes on of another and walk in grace and mercy and love with them just as Christ did for us. This is imitating God. Another is forgiveness is not an end in itself. See, Paul says at at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, we are called to this. And anytime you're called to something or commanded to do something, this is from the Lord, and we're called to aim for restoration. This is us as Christians. We're aim, the, our aim is for restoration, comfort, to comfort one another, to agree with one another, to live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is a command from Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. So we cannot have the attitude of, I forgive you, and then maintain separation. This is not okay. We need to fight for relational restored relation with one another. 
We need to fight for it. We need to aim for that restoration. We ought to forgive and then, then do all we can to build back the community that was broken because of the sin. Not to divide, not to leave, not to isolate, but to have the conversation. See, forgiveness does not guarantee a relationship will continue. And that sounds like a little bit of a, con- a contradiction from the point before, <clears throat> but let me explain this. See, if there is danger of physical harm, verbal abuse, sexual enslavement, then wisdom and help is def- definitely needed at this time to help that specific scenario. For example, oftentimes in an abusive relationship, the abuser will buy flowers, say sorry, ask for forgiveness, and then repeat the abuse. And Jody and I, unfortunately, have had too many conversations with relationships and in marriages where a lot of abuse has taken place. And walking with those couples, we've learned a lot of language. And, And here's some of the language of the abuser. See, the abuser loves silence. They will say things like, this is between us. This is our marriage. No one else needs to know. What happens in our home is our business. And here's the kicker. If you, coming from the abuser to the other spouse, if you talk about this, then you've broken the covenant. Do you see what was going on there? Manipulation of the abused saying, you now are breaking the covenant if you talk about this. Incredibly dangerous. See, as Christians, we are called to extend forgiveness as Jesus did for us. But in these situations, situations, wisdom and discernment is needed and must be done in community of believers, not in silence. We need to know one another, care for one another, love one another as the body of Christ. Let's look at what forgiveness is, a continuation of giving you some of what forgiveness is in the forgiveness is not, but let's go forgiveness is now. Forgiveness is modeled after God's forgiveness of us. This we see right in Ephesians, in the book. By God's grace and forgiveness, we are saved. We are saved by his forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. There's a freedom that comes along with it. Secondly, forgiving others flows from a relationship with God. So if you have right relationship with the Father, our spiritual bent will be to make things right through the gift of forgiveness towards one another. This is how I see it. Like I'm, I, I realize, I start realizing my sin, my depravity, my, my brokenness between either others and my brokenness ultimately between me and God, and he forgave me. He forgives me all of my sin? How dare I hold back any forgiveness towards another then? When you start recognizing all that you've been forgiven for, how dare we even hold back what we've of forgiveness towards another? See, Aaron Cerrone in this article goes on to say, forgiveness is a natural and daily token of our gratitude of his salvation. It's a recognition of all the things that God has given you and you are called to pass that on. You're called to imitate God in his forgiveness. So on the flip side, if you don't have a natural desire to forgive, you will have a bent for revenge, bitterness, isolation, and alienation. You have not truly experienced the forgiveness and grace of God's love in your life. 
you forget what God has done for you. And now you play the judge and you rule over people because they've sinned and wronged you instead of actually passing on the forgiveness that God has given you. We're called to imitate the Father in his forgiveness. See, there's a clear desire to find reconciliation, which we've seen already through 2 Corinthians 13. We aim for it. Another is forgiveness is obedience. Again, 432 says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is walking in obedience. It's walking in the obedience that we've called to. It's a command from the Lord to forgive one another. This is the walk of the, of, of the gospel. See, forgiving, lastly, is forgiving as a relational commitment. To say you are forgiven is to communicate that the payment is paid in full between the two of you. It is done. Just like Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. An accomplished redemption. An accomplished freedom for you and I. On the cross, it is finished. It's a beautiful language. You are forgiven. To be able to pass that love towards one another. And that's the second point of what we are called to imitate. We're called to imitate God in our forgiveness. First one, and we're called to imitate God in our love. Take a look at... uh, uh, on the screen, you see Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. This is one of my favorite texts in Scripture on the love of God. And it's easy to remember, right? Romans 5, 6, 8, 10. So you can lock that in your memory break. But you can see it on the screen. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while you, we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled shall we be saved by his love. Friends, while we were weak, sinners, and enemies, God loved us by dying on the cross for us. While we were at our worst, we were at our worst, weak, sinners and enemies, that is when Christ died for us. This is what he is calling you, how you are to love one another. While people sitting beside you in this congregation are at their worst, that is when you love them. Really? It says it right there. Right in the scripture. When you are at your worst, that's when you should experience the love of the body of Christ. That's when you as the body of Christ ought to love one another. To imitate God, are you starting to realize how hard this is gonna be? When people are at their worst, you love them. You don't leave, you don't isolate, You don't seek your own comfort. You forgive them and you love them. Just like Christ did for us when we're at our worst. This is weighty. Jesus' love far surpasses ours. 
far surpasses it. Can we love one another and our neighbors like that this week? This is what I mean by can this passage, can this text change you? Can you remember and remember all the things that God has done for you so that you can pass on your forgiveness and you can pass on the love of God when you're at the weakest? Like I said on Vision Sunday, if you stuck around and and were here, I want to call us as a body, as I shepherd you and shepherd myself. Man, we got to serve one another. We got to pray for one another corporately and individually. And we got to invite one another in. This is the practical living out of the core values of evangelism and discipleship and community. Let's invite, let's serve, let's pray for one another. Let's get to know one another deeply. Our third form of imitation is that we might imitate God by giving of ourselves. It's a big one. Again, in our text, it says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In John 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, I lay, this is Jesus praying, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You, in some way or fashion, have an authority to lay your life down for another. You can do this. I can do this. We are called to do this, to imitate God in laying down your life for another. It's not the only time in scripture it's said. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So then you can now imitate him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Let that sink in. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Really? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved you and gave himself for you. Who loved you and gave himself for you. Really, you? Me? See, we see this all over in scripture. Uh, One of my kids' favorite stories, if you wanna turn to Luke uh, chapter 10, really quickly in the gospel. My kids uh, named this passage uh, the Owie Man story. All right, the Owie Man story. If you know Luke chapter 10, it's, it's the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in uh, verses, uh, well, it's, it's a little bit bigger text. It starts in verse 25, but we're gonna read right from the start when Jesus starts telling this little parable in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down for Jerusalem to Jericho And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. There's the Owie man. Now by chance, a priest 
a priest of all people, was going down that road and where, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him and bound him, bound up his wounds, putting on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. God forgave us. God loves us. God lays his life down for us. And Jesus closes the story with, go and do likewise. See, Ephesians 5 is not the first time we hear this. It's all throughout scripture. Go and do likewise. See, in this do, go and do, it is to give of yourself for another to lay your life down for another, just as our father did by sending his son to die on the cross for us. <clears throat> A theologian by the name of Alfred Berry says something we should be think, all be thinking, that he, he comes to the conclusion that every sin offering in the Old Testament, every covenant of the Old Testament is actually fulfilled through Jesus, every single one, that Jesus is the fulfiller of all things, that he lays down his life for us, that we cannot do this perfectly on our own. We, there's no way we can pay for our sins, so Jesus needed to come to pay for it. He laid down his life, and he's now calling us, church, to forgive like Jesus forgave us, to love as Jesus loved us, and to give up our lives for the sake of another. This is what community looks like. This is what the church ought to look like. Church, can we practice this? I'm pleading with you. Can we practice this? Can we start living as God has called us to? It's right here in scripture. And I'm talking to myself in this too. Can I forgive and love and lay my life, my wants, my needs, my desires for the sake of another. Can we do this together? It's gonna to take a lot of time. All right, I've timed myself. I'm already two minutes past where I should be. All right, hang in there. I'm close though, two minutes, not bad. <clears throat> so that's verse one and two. All right, we got a couple more to go. <clears throat> Look at three and four. There's a massive but it's amazing how we transfer from God's forgiveness, God's love, God's laying down, and then he talks about this. All right, here we go. But sexual immorality, that's a pretty big switch. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy, filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but, another but, we're going back to the forgiveness, love, and now laying our life down. But instead, 
there should be thanksgiving. Children of disobedience or children of obedience? Which one are we? See, this takes us back to the last two weeks as we talked about putting off the kingdom of self and putting on the kingdom of God. When we look at the gratification of self, you essentially become a navel gazer. That's an older term, but essentially, basically, your head is down, you're looking and staring at your navel, and everything is about me, right? And this is the sons of disobedience. Everything is about me. I'm going to take and steal from everybody else. Sensually, I'm going to look towards me and my wants, my needs, my desires, And that's where we go, right? The kingdom of self goes to the sensual. It goes to whatever feels good for me. It's about me. I'm going to ignore everybody else. All I want is this. And it it just leads you to death. This is our community around us. This is, unfortunately, friends, us at times. More than you might think. Right? And the danger of this and... And this, is, this came to me very late in the week. I'm not sure if you've heard about the health and wealth gospel. Yeah? Health and wealth gospel, you know, like, like pastors, uh, I won't name them, uh, but it ends with Steen and some others, right? And they, they, they fly around in personal jets and, and have massive mansions and they, they take money from people and to build their kingdom This is the health and wealth gospel and they proclaim that you too could have all of this and the best life is for now. We often talk about health and wealth and most often we lean towards the wealth side. Friends, this, like our church, this body and globally, the Christian church is leaning towards the health gospel. And it saddens me to no end. We would be up in arms if we were about the wealth, would we not? But why aren't we up in arms about the health? Something is going on here. If safety is the ultimate end goal for us, we are in the health gospel. I've come across people that will not pray for someone because they're fearful of getting sick or causing them to get sick. That saddens me to no end. And they leave the church because of it. I can't pray for someone because they might get sick. Health gospel. I can't go to church. I can't come to church because I'm fearful of becoming sick or causing someone else to get sick. Friends, that's a health gospel. We need to be awakened to this. That we are mandated by God to gather as a community of the church, to love each other, to be about forgiveness of sin, the love of Christ, the death of Jesus Christ for your sin when you were at your weakest and that other people might hear this amazing news and be saved. Not be safe. 
We need to be awakened to this, friends. So we're so focused at what we feel, desire, want, and need that we forget about what we are called to for the sake of the other and to worship the kingdom of God. When we're about God's kingdom, our head is held high and we begin to be thankful. Not sensual, not looking at our wants, our needs, our safety, fearful of what's going on around us, but being thankful for the forgiveness and the love and what God has done for me that I might pass it on to others, that I might proclaim the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for their sin and offer this amazing gift of mercy of God's love for you and proclaim what he has done for you, that he died, he laid down his life to pay your sin penalty that you deserve to pay so that you can be free eternally. This is the kingdom of God. This is our message, not safety. I have no idea where I'm in my notes. All right. <clears throat> we need to live in thanksgiving. See, Paul also talks about um, cruel joking and crude joking and, and slander. We, we, we can get into all kinds of things like that as well. Talking behind other people's backs, not getting to know, not having the conversation. This is causing division within the church. And you might think you're actually being the most loving person, but when you talk behind other people's backs and go into other people's rooms and talk about that, it's actually causing division in the church. And we need to stop. We need to have the loving conversation. Speak honestly with one another. Care for one another. Love each other. Forgive each other. Love one another. And lay ourselves down for the sake of another. This is what we're called to in the church. See, Paul is saying this stuff to the church in Ephesus, but it so applies to our church today. And we need to be aware of what is going on. So imitation by way of forgiveness, love, and giving ourselves up. Let's be people that exude thanksgiving of those three amazing gifts, not living in nasal-gazing sensuality, but actually in thanksgiving. And then lastly, a warning. A warning. Look at verse five and six, and then we'll close with this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Quickly, um, I coach sports, I've been coaching sports for a long time with my kids, I love coaching. And when you coach, you actually try and say the same thing over and over again, but in just different ways. So it clicks for the athlete, right? So they hear it. And the same thing goes with what Jesus is doing with us in the scripture. He's saying the same thing over and over and over again in different ways so that it might just click for us. And my prayer for us this week has been that verse five, the opening sentence in verse five would, would click for us would awaken us as a church. And I'm using us language here. 
Look at that opening phrase. You may be sure of this. And I, man, I sure hope that this clicks. You may be sure of this, that if you continue in your sexual immorality, in your impurity, in your covetous nature, that you will not experience the kingdom of heaven. It's not my words. It's right in the text. You may be sure of this if you continue in these things. And the covetous nature that turns into idolatry is what this text is saying is that if you are making this a worshipful action, if you are putting sexual immorality over and above God, if you're making this your priority and you are living in this habitually, continually going back to it over and over and over again, we need to test our hearts in this and be aware of what is going on in your heart. There may be a hardness and a forgetfulness of all the things that you are offered by Christ. And you're forgetting that, you're breaking that relationship for the sake of this, this minimal enjoyment that does not last. And you're, you, the warning is that you may not enter into the kingdom of God. You may be sure of this. Friends, we live in a society that is filled with immorality. And the next line in this text, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a lot of empty words going on. Like it's okay to live with one another before marriage. It's okay to touch one another, you know, in their sexual parts. It's not that bad. I've lived there. I've been there. Every one of us. Every one of us, if you're not aware of this, are sexually immoral. Jesus himself says, takes it one step further, if you even think, if you look at someone with lust, think in their heart that you are an adulterer. Every one of us have committed adultery you don't have to be married to be, be an adulterer. You are an adulterer at heart. Friends, we need the forgiveness of Christ so desperately. So I'm not here to accuse you or bring wrath upon you. That is God. That is his role. My job is to warn, to help you see the truth so if you have things that are on your phones still and you know what, who you are and you know what you've got on your phone and you know maybe what you've got on your computer and you know what you've been looking at, you know what the things that are going on in your heart, I'm not the one that's gonna bring the conviction on you. The Holy Spirit is. And if you know those things that are in your, in your, in your hands and in your eyes and in your minds and your hearts, and you're living in those. You can't wait to get back to those. You can't wait to think about these things. You can't wait to see that next image. You're in danger, friend, of not entering into the kingdom of God. You're in danger because you're ignoring the forgiveness that Christ has offered you. You're ignoring the fact that he loves you. And you're ignoring that he has given himself up for you 
so that you can walk in holiness and blameless as we see in chapters one of Ephesians. That he is wanting to adopt you into his eternal family through his shed blood for you. And you're saying, screw that. I want more images. You're in a dangerous place. So I call you, repent, accept the free gift of grace, ask for forgiveness. There's a lot here. Let me close. We have been given, friends, love, forgiveness, and a giving up of our holy God for our lives. May we live as a church of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. And may we heed the warning that he's called us to and lay down our sensual pleasures for the sake of his kingdom. And the gift of grace that we've been offered, may we accept it. May we imitate God in his love, his forgiveness, and laying our lives down for another. May we be thankful and may we heed the warning. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I I pray that we will heed what you are calling us to. That we'll take stock in what is going on in our hearts and our minds. That we'll be faithful to accept the free gift of grace the forgiveness that you offered us on the cross. And that we will repent, that we accept that free gift, and that we walk now in obedience in the call of the scripture, in the call of the calling, of the call, the comfort, and the, and the, the walk of the, of the good news of Jesus. That we'll now walk as, as children of light. That we'll walk as beloved children, not in sons of disobedience any longer. Lord, help each one of us. Take away any lie of religious behavior. And help us accept that free gift. The free gift. Nothing that we have done. It's all that you have done, Jesus. And so I pray as we, we, we as a church become forgiving and loving and giving ourselves up. May we live in thanksgiving and accept those in that are broken and hurting right now. In Jesus we pray, amen.